0: You're listening to Path of Love with David Youngren. To learn more about us, visit pathoflovecenter.com.
1: Hello, I'm Marcus, and welcome back to the Path of Love. We're going to be talking to David about Chapter 6, The Quest of the Ego. Uh, In this chapter, um, there's a lot of great stories in there, so I would encourage everyone out there to, again, Pick up this book, Awakening to I Am Love by David Youngren, and follow along with us so you have a better insight on some of the things that David speaks about in this book. Hi, David. How are you doing today?
2: Good, Marcus. (laughs) Uh, I'm doing really good. And for those who do not know, I'm going to let people in on a little bit of a secret here. We actually record this on the Zoom call. And... Today you have this incredible, beautiful background with nice ocean and these waves and palm trees, and it's it's absolutely stunningly beautiful. And I know you're heading somewhere warm or some some place, some island, some way. We won't even mention the name, but uh, <laughs> but anyhow, it's just giving me so much calm. So I'm hopefully I'm able to kind of communicate some of the things from this chapter, but you you really you really have an incredible background today Marcus
1: I know my hair is blowing in the wind <laughs> and as everyone <laughs> may be aware I don't have any hair <laughs> so I'm very relaxed right now <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so the quest to the ego i mean comes after a chapter that we spoke about um uh, focused a lot on the ego the ego and um the garden in Eden and all those types of things. But now we're talking about the quest of the ego. In this chapter, you start out with the ego is a quest. It needs to feel special and stand out among its peers. So how does the ego have to stand out? Like how, how does it, How? where's the line blur between standing out or also just being competitive.
2: I am not against competition and all of that is good fun. What we're talking about is when your sense of identity, the core essence of who you are, when you internally uh, identify with either the ego or your spirit. It's your center of gravity. It doesn't mean that you're not competitive. It doesn't mean that you don't have thoughts when you're in spirit. It just means that your thoughts now have been transformed. You see the world differently. Your center of gravity is rooted in spirit, in consciousness that is aware of your union with all things. So, that's the difference. So, just to reiterate again what the ego is. The ego basically uh, survives. So the ego, uh, of course, the content of the ego varies from person to person, but in every ego, the same structure operates. In other words, egos, they only really differ on the surface, but deep down, and this is what I'm talking about in this chapter, deep down, they're all the same as far as identification and separation. So we all identify, the ego identifies with content, and content is all those things that have been added onto you as to who you are since childhood. When you were born, your identity was just rooted, your inner sense of self was rooted in I am. In other words, you were just breathing, you were conscious, you were aware of your own presence. But Throughout your life, there have been things added on to you. People have described things. Things from the outside has defined who you are. And some of them are deep-rooted issues that have made you feel like I'm not enough. And so the ego seeks to separate itself because ultimately, because the moment that we allowed ourselves to identify with our ego rather than our spirit, what happened then was that now, we were no longer aware of the unconditional love that kind of uh, the union that all of us share is this unconditional love and we were no longer aware of that and now we began to seek love from outside which is based on our performance in order to do that we need to separate ourselves from others we need to stand out from others in other words we need to be superior we need to Find our niche, so to speak, that we're better than others because it somehow or another makes us feel better about ourselves. But ultimately, that always leads to pain and suffering. It leads to all these heartaches in our life. But it doesn't mean that you cannot be competitive, you cannot have fun, you can do all those different things. But your center of gravity, your very essence of who you are, is not rooted in your abilities and how you stand out in comparison to others.
1: So you also say that ego pursues whatever validates and strengthens its sense of self. Um, and then you jump to culture has a pull on ego. Can you explain that?
2: Yeah, obviously, in the beginning of our life, family is very, very important. And but then as we grew up, we you know we live in the culture where we are taught certain values certain ways of seeing things so for example we may come to a point in our life when you know money is very important of course in our society here money is very very important so one way you establish your worth and value is by having more money than other people so a way to enhance your sense of self in in, in a way to separate yourself from others you must have more money, money than others or it could be power or it could be fame it could be many different things and all these things shape who we are in other words we begin to look for the good remember the in the knowledge of good and evil we all have our own unique good that we all strive to be the very best at so that we can separate ourselves from others
1: so culture in that aspect is not Coming from uh, uh, South African culture, or from an American culture, or from a Canadian culture, um, is it culture meaning um, the the what you actually identify with? Culture, I think, actually is
2: very uh, national, and in that, for example, people in United States identify more with probably with money as a form of good than a lot of other countries. In a lot of other countries, that's not the case. And you have each nation is unique. All A lot of countries are the same. But at the same time, it it, it can depend on so many different things. It can depend on, for example, if you're raised in a very political environment, maybe the ultimate good then is to be some great political figure. Or if you're raised in a religious culture. Then maybe a pastor or some other religious leader is the ultimate good that we all pursue. It all depends on the type of environment we live in. So nation has something to do with it, but also race has something to do with it, but also our family or the kind of environment we are in all have something to, to do with what we consider the ultimate good and how we want to be able to stand out in the eyes of
1: others. Okay, and you say when our sense of identity is based on our ego's achievement and success or lack thereof, it moves us further away from awareness of the unconditional love that holds us all together.
2: Can yeah, ex- because because the ego always needs to compare itself to others. And when you do that, you ultimately always do it because you don't feel like you're worthy enough. So you have to stand out, you compare yourself to others. You, you, for example, if I ever compare myself to you, why do I need to compare myself with you? Because I feel like that's how I'm gonna gain my worth and value. So let's say we had the same father, let's say we were raised in the same family, you and I, Marcus. And so I would then need to, so if I wanted to have the approval and the love of my father, subconsciously, maybe not consciously, I would never think this way, but subconsciously, I would feel like I have to prove my worth that I am somehow or another standing out in my father's eyes in comparison to you. So I would have to find my own field of interest, what I am good at to do that. And, um, and that is not rooted in unconditional love. Because if I really was aware, if I really knew of unconditional love, I would not never need to compare myself to you because I would recognize that we're all one together anyhow.
1: And then it goes on to your gifts and skills are then used to bring the beauty of life to the world around you instead of going into being it, it being used to overpower someone else. Correct.
2: Yeah exactly so you we all had, we all have unique gifts and abilities we all have certain skill sets the things that we can do that other people cannot do and those are all valuable those are all incredible but when we operate them out of a sense of ego to prove ourselves that we need to stand out to be the best it will always lead to suffering but if we operate those gifts through an awareness of our spirit within it always is about helping others uh, and bringing a bringing who you are uh this sense of love and consciousness in a way that benefits not just yourself but benefits all people
1: so the chapter six is called the quest of the ego and you start to title some of the portions in there basically uh the, the some of the titles that represent where ego can can hide and can linger in people's lives. Um, so let's go into Indiana Jones quest that you have stated <laughs> right there. Like identifying the physical appearance, um, identifying with physical appearance. Um, you spoke in there about people who are really focused on their physical appearance. In today's day and age, that is just about everybody now. I mean, you see that on social media everywhere. How does ego creep into that? Maybe
2: it started, but, you know, we're living in age when we're told we're beautiful and we always, you know, a lot of people are complimented. So if you kind of always hear that you are beautiful, you're strong, you're this and that. Or if you hear that you're not, then you may, you know, let's say you're you're not very strong, then there may be something in within you that says, oh, I need to prove myself. I'm going to work out until everybody see how strong I am, or I want to change my look so that the people will see how beautiful I am. So it all goes to the ego. The ego needs to stand out, to feel special, to to be superior to others. So in the case of our looks, our looks become a very, very important thing. I tell a story in there about I met one time that I was, you know, here in California, you know, in Southern California, it doesn't get very cold. And uh, but every once in a while, maybe drop down to the 40s in the day, and then sometimes even to 30, like 30 degrees, you know, in in the at night. And for those who are not, are not familiar with Fahrenheit, that's about zero degrees Celsius and about uh, seven, eight during the day, you know, something like that. And so it's, it's cold for us, very, very cold for us. And I remember one time, you know, I, I get bundled up like crazy. I go for a walk every day and I get put on clothes and I put on on a ton of different clothes if it's really cold. Cause like, I like the reason I moved here was because of the weather. Right. (laughs) And so I, I bundled myself up. And the fact that I had my pool guy once on time, he said, he said to me, uh, Oh, you look like the Unabomber because I was covered up and, you know, the, you know, sunglasses on the Mm -hmm. whole thing. And so one time I remember going for a walk and I saw this guy running and he had only shorts on and it was freezing cold outside. And I look at him and I'm noticing uh, he's very muscular. He's very built, you know. And, and and of course, all the cars are driving by and they of course, everybody's looking at him. They're not looking at me, <laughs> bundle up. they're looking at him with all these massive muscles. And I thought to myself, it's very interesting how, uh, you know, all of us like to stand out. It was another way to communicate, look at me, look at me, look at me, look how strong I am. And I don't know whether he thought that I don't want to make that judgment, but it's certainly can lead to that. But it, because at some point, all of us, especially if we focus on our beauty or if we sp- sp- focus on our appearance and our looks or anything like that, at some point, other people will be better looking than us. And if you are a, a, a you know famous um, uh, influencer on Instagram or TikTok, or anything like that, At some point, someone else would come along who is a younger version of you. And how do you feel then? If your sense of identity is rooted in your looks, then you will go through all this heartache and internal struggle and anxiety and worry. And and you you try to figure out, how can I make myself look younger again? Because your sense of identity is rooted in the way you appear. And as I said, that will always lead to suffering at some point in your life because eventually age and, you know, the ability to uh, metabolize, I guess, or be able to eat something (laughs) and not gain any weight, eventually that might come to an end. And then what are the feelings you will go through?
1: I like how you phrased it and said, pain and anguish await anyone whose self-identity is based on their appearance because age and bad breaks have a way of catching up with all of us. Exactly. It's so true. I mean, you there, but how do you feel towards someone who's worked so hard to achieve that muscular physique or that great physique? And it makes them feel confident inside or makes them feel good inside. Is that the wrong foundation of confidence and good that they're depending on? To feel good should never be
2: rooted in something as superficial as form or in the way we look. I think that that's a mistake a lot of people make. If we are truly rooted in in our inner true self, if our confidence is in who we are, that's the most attractive quality any person can have. I believe that it gives you true confidence when you are truly confident in your inner self, who you are at the very core, that you are an expression of the divine, that you are love at the very core, that you are consciousness, that you are, you are this presence, that all this other stuff are only content additions that have been added on to you to somehow another create a conceptualized self that separates you from others but if we don't worry about that if you're just free you have tremendous confidence so yes we often create and in fact all of us do we create personas we create things that will cause us to stand out uh, when we compare ourselves to others, and as I said, that would always lead to frustration, because if someone criticizes you, what happens then? Well, then we get like, you know, full of anxiety. We, you know, we we get worried about that, or we or become irritated, or we become de- uh, depressed, or we begin to lash out at the haters. If someone says something terrible, like if you are on... Uh, Instagram, and someone makes a negative comment about you. It's amazing how some of the most famous people I've seen, that some of the most famous people who have millions of followers, someone posts something negative, and they get all upset about it. Who is that person anyhow? It doesn't matter because their sense of identity is wrapped up in how they appear, the way they look.
1: Let's move on to that quest, and the next is the need to be right. This one is very interesting to me because I know you related to a, a story of you being at a dealership, and it was a great analogy on there, but it also reminds me of relationships. And when you're speaking to your significant other, or and they're um, wanting to be right, or you're trying to win a conversation, can you elaborate a little bit more on the? ego in the need to be right?
2: Yeah, I maybe I should just briefly tell the story because it's very <laughs> personal. I'm basically talking about myself a little bit there. And because this is something that happened a number of years ago, and I was at the dealership and I had my vehicle and I was obviously looking to get a new vehicle. And I was driving into the dealership and and this car sales guy came up to me and he started, you know, trying to start a conversation, you know, how the whole or deal works you know they're trying to sell something and i'm trying to pretend that i'm not really that interested but at the same time i am <laughs> interested in you know the little play the game that goes on right and so this particular guy that came up to me was the same as the guy had sold it to me although well, i didn't really remember him very well but afterwards i thought no he's this. It was the same guy who actually sold my last car to me and he had this he had this scandinavian background I could tell you know i made a judgment about him this which is naturally what the mind does made a judgment where he stood politically by the way he dressed the way he talked the whole thing right so i have this preconceived idea who this guy is and so he asked me what do you think what do you think about the car which i know is a very uh you know what do you think about Accra?" in other words he's trying to get me to say oh i like this Car so that then he can lead to the next question, you know, about selling me a car. So I understood that, right? So I said I like the car, but I said, uh, and but I said I'm a little bit disappointed with the GPS. So he said to me, "Well, that's strange. I never heard that before." And of course, immediately my ego, you know, my first response is when I hear this is, well, he's implying that. I'm the only one with the problem. So the problem is not really with the car. The problem is with David Youngren. There's something wrong with David Youngren. He is not enough. Remember how we talked about your subconscious, your heart, at your heart level, we all feel like we're not enough. And that's the root of the ego that we need to prove ourselves. So at the heart level, I felt like, oh, he's attacking me, although he never used those words, but there was an indirect attack on me that, at least that's how I interpreted, that I was not enough so I just kind of, you know, trying to be, which is another egoic trait. I'm just trying to be the bigger person here. And I just said, thank you. Appreciate your help. Anyhow, I need to go. I got to leave here. And inside, I was irritated, pulling out of there. And then he kind of came up to me, rushing up to me. And he said to me, "Uh, roll down the window. So I'm rolling down the window. So he asked me again, I says, can you tell me again about what's wrong with the GPS? So I said to him, well, I said, "Uh, let me just try it out here and you see how it works. So I said to him, uh, well, actually I said to the GPS, I spoke to the GPS I said, take me to this address in La Jolla and you're familiar with Southern Uh California. Mm -hmm. So you know where it is. And so take me to this address in La Jolla. I thought it was like Geneva something. I don't remember the name of the street but something like that. So then on the, which is like, was like 15 miles away of 20 miles away from where I was. So then on my GPS, And Anderson, Idaho shows up. So I said to him, Look, here's what I mean. So I felt like my ego felt the deep satisfaction that I was right. He had all these doubts about me. So then he kind of tells me, Can you get out of the car? And I thought, Well, he's very aggressive here. He wants me to get out of the car. And I said, I'm not getting out of the car. I'm thinking to myself. So I said, No, it's okay. I said, No, get out of the car. I said, No, it's okay. And then he mutters to himself and to me, Maybe it's your accent. And when I heard that, something, my ego triggered in me because he, my ego, he was trying to put me down. In other words, you remember I was, I'm born in Sweden and, you know, lived in Canada for a number of years and then moved here. So when, when someone says your accent it kind of reminds you that you're not like the rest of the people, right? Like you don't fit really in. You're not like the rest of us here. In other words, and somehow or another, it feels like my, my ego interprets this, I am less. Remember, he didn't say that, but my ego interprets this, that he's putting me down and he's putting down the way I speak. And he's making that the reason why. So I feel like he's trying, I feel my ego feels that it's being diminished by this other guy. So then my ego thinks very quickly that, oh, I am not going to be diminished by this sales guy. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Who is he anyhow? Like, does he know who I am? So I basically fired back in him in my lawyer, most loyally voice. And I said to him, are you telling me that Acura doesn't make cars for people with my accent? Question number one. Or are you telling me that Acura is not capable of making cars for people like me? Question number three. Or are you suggesting that Acura doesn't want customers who, like me, are immigrants to this nation? And now you have to understand the immigrant, you have to understand a little bit about the political situation here, especially at the time. and and so it was a very loaded three questions that I asked him. and and I felt good. what what was happening? Well, I had felt diminished by what he said. So I had to we I had to kind of reverse my ego's own sense of self, how I felt about me. I had to win. I had to prove my worth that I was I was closer to the good of what I consider good than he was. In other words, I was smarter than he was. I could argue better than he could. And I had to make him into some kind of a heartless person who didn't care about people like me. And so by those three questions, I felt like I had won. And, and then I said, well, anyhow, we may, I have to leave. I'm sorry kind of thing. And, and I kind of then drove off. And as I'm driving away, I am so filled with anger toward this guy. And at the same time, I'm feeling all this guilt. Like, I don't know if you ever felt that, Mark, because you have like both feelings, anger and guilt at the same time. You're angry with the guy, and then you're feeling guilty because deep down you know that this is not who you are. And so then about a minute later, it just like dawned on me. I cannot believe this. That was my ego manifesting in full bloom, like it was fully bloomed. It was right out there. In other words, I had to make him my enemy because he did not accept me, my ego interpreted that he had made me, uh, that, that he somehow or another thought less of me. And so I had to make him less so that I could feel better about myself.
1: So you say whenever we are in a conversation with someone, there's a subliminal communication happening in concurrence with our verbal exchange. Our conscious mind, our conscious mind operates at a much slower rate than with the subconscious. So it leads me to this question. And have you ever been in a conversation with a significant other and used these words? that's not what I said when, I mean, those words, that's not what I said. I know everyone's probably said, that's not what I said, but someone's interpretation of what you said or their ego, like you're stating creates an underlying meaning to what you're actually saying. Is that part of what you're describing in here?
2: Yes. But sometimes it's also true that the person actually there is there is an underlying message implied in what is being said. But also you have to realize that with the lens of "I'm not enough," the egoic lens that we see in the world, we interpret it as a an offense against us, as a criticism of ourselves. It's a criticism of who we think ourselves to be, who we consider ourselves to be, who we believe ourselves to be. We feel like someone is actually putting us down. And so even when I say, well, it's not what I said, uh, they felt threatened some or another. They felt less. They're made to feel less loved.
1: So it's two egoic conversations or people with egoic situations trying to battle something out which is going to lead into something that is not good for anyone.
2: Exactly. And that's why I said they go with mine is, is the cause of all suffering. You know, it causes <laughs> all the suffering and pain and three days of uh, not talking to one another, you know?
1: Exactly. And then you state, to validate my sense of identity, I needed to be right and I need my opponent to be wrong. What purpose did that achieve? So when you became aware, you noticed that, this didn't get us anywhere.
2: No, it became it became like for hours and hours afterwards, uh, this is what I thought about. And so, and, and, you know, that was probably good. It could have been days and days that people relive this and kind of relive this situation over and over and over again in their minds and their heads. You know, it's, it's like a narrative that goes on and on and on. And now you start trying to create more out of that story. It becomes like this huge story in your mind, right? It completely makes you unaware of your true essence, your true self.
1: It said, when multiplied, these incidents form unconscious programming that can lead to all kinds of anxiety and even sickness. Can you elaborate on that?
2: When you have a lot of these incidents in your life, it creates a lot of stress in your cells. And that leads to your cells being programmed with these stressful, this stressful energy. It's a very negative energy. And eventually that might lead to sickness, that might lead to cancer, that may lead to all kinds of problems. It can lead to premature death in so many people's lives because they are so unaware of their truest and deeper self and so imprisoned by their thoughts, these egoic thoughts, that they are not able to live in a sense of freedom. And ultimately, that leads to all kinds of problems. But the good news is that you can be free from it.
1: And you're free from it by, as you say, these cellular memories that have forgotten um, how to be healthy can be manipulated and returned to a state of peace. How does that happen?
2: Well, by the same way they were programmed. So think about it. They were programmed through this egoic thinking through the content that comes from the outside, from the mind. But if, if some of the people may listen to these other podcasts, it may probably make more sense to them So I encourage people to go back and listen to it, but when you become aware of your spirit, when you're truly aware of that deepest self beyond thoughts, deeper than thought, when you come to that place of presence, when you're just aware, if you look at, for example, if you just take a deep breath and you're just aware of a flower, a bird, or presence within you, even your breath, the more you do that, you become aware of this inner presence. And then you become aware of this divine reality. You become aware of God within you. And there's a sense of presence. And when you, the more you're aware of that, the more your cells are now reprogrammed with life. And they're reprogrammed with peace and and, and love. And that transforms your health as well has the power to transform your health over a a period of time.
1: Do you feel that this can work through meditation?
2: Absolutely. I'm, you know, some, if you know my story, and of course, you know my story, Marcus, but uh, for those people who heard my story, you know that I had tremendous cluster headaches for a long period of time. And it was through meditation. I was healed from those cluster headaches. And there are many other things in my life physically, that have completely changed because of meditation. And, and it's a proven fact. I mean, scientists are proving that meditation is the cause of uh, lowering blood pressure and, and and has so many health benefits to it.
1: And that's, like you said, reprogramming the subconscious with love, pretty much.
2: Exactly, you could certainly say that
1: so next on our quest we're going to complaining um, and the role of the victim this one is interesting because it goes into someone always complaining or being a victim or feeling that they're in a victim in in a situation can you talk on that
2: when feelings unworthiness and failure are edged into our subconscious the ego then creates another false self that we commonly refer to as the victim. In other words, people say, people are against me. I get no breaks or, you know, no one has experienced what I have. No one has suffered like me. No one has this kind of sickness. I'm the only one in the world with this kind of sickness. Only three people who have this. And, you know, I I have more pain than anybody else. So we, we, uh, you know, no one had that kind of failure like I did. And, and what does that do is strengthen this self-imposed identity as a victim. We feel like, oh, uh, it fortifies our role as a victim and we begin to complain as a result of it.
1: Yeah, you say the most common way the ego fortifies its role as a victim is by complaining and complaining a lot, but what about the people who may have been victims of certain things?
2: Of course and many people have been victims on many many different things and there's no denying that but if you then perceive yourself as a victim if that becomes your identity it's only gonna perpetuate the pain and the suffering in your life so for example if you suffered something 20 years ago you can't change that and a lot of people have obviously, obviously trauma going through a lot of different things But that's not your reality today. The only way it lives on is through the stories that we tell ourselves or through the trauma that has been um, literally programmed into our subconscious. And so what I'm saying is, to continue in this narrative of being a victim does not necessarily lead to freedom and make you feel like, Oh, there's a reason why I am like this. There's a reason why I'm struggling. There's a reason why I have no success. There is a reason why I don't have any money. There is a reason for all these different things. Yeah, there is, but it doesn't make you free from the pain and the suffering. It only intensifies the pain and the suffering.
1: You went into speaking about a story uh, about, Uh, pizza a cold pizza that was delivered to you um at at your table and how um you uh interacted with the the waiter
2: well it wasn't so much my own story Um, it was i was just using a story as a general story to to give an example so but it probably something similar probably has happened to me although i don't know (laughs) sure about exactly that story right there but um you see, whenever we complain, really what I'm talking about is complaining. Complaining is a way. Uh, complaining is a way where we can diminish others and make ourselves rise. Right. Remember, if you think of this continuum of good and evil, if you think of this uh, field of good and evil, and and on you know, one side is good and the other side is evil. Remember, all our internal dialogue is about being good. And in order to be good, we have to put other people down. So complaining is a way to make other people bad. And it's another way to make yourself, to enhance your sense of self, to be superior to others. And so in the case of the pizza, uh, for example, let's say, and I use this as an example, let's say you're sitting in a restaurant with your friends and you all order pizza and your pizza arrives and everyone else's pizza arrives, but your pizza arrives last and you waited like long time for that pizza. And you notice when you compare it to the other people that your pizza has less ingredients, has less cheese, is cold. And so how does the ego interpret that? Oh, they think less of me. They there's something and so whatever you identify with so for example if you identify with your you know you don't feel very good looking it could be well I'm not very good looking or I'm 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 this it could even be like a, a race thing I mean that could that mm-hmm. could also be it it could be all kinds Absolutely. of things it could be religious things it could be anything you feel a sense of oh they think less of me and that's the reason why and immediately what do we do then we have to, Counterattack them. We have to put them in their place because they have diminished our sense of self or they have made us feel less about ourselves. So now the ego then has to make them feel less about themselves. We have to reverse the loss into a victory. So what do we do? We attack them back and say, we were wrong. We were mistreated. And so now that complaining about being served this terrible pizza, is the ego's attempt to regain its worth by establishing the lack of worth in the other. So, you know, you may say something like, this is the second time I've been served cold pizza at this restaurant. Why would you bring me a cold pizza with so little cheese on it? All the other people, look at them. They got theirs earlier than mine. This is terrible service. I don't deserve to be treated this way. I demand that you make me a new pizza and I'm not going to pay for it. You know, something like that.
1: How do you discuss something you're not happy with um, and become and not become the victim or make someone else the victim?
2: Well, you bring up an interesting point because the other so you say, Well, what are you supposed to do? Then say nothing. No, well, I didn't say that because that then you revert back to another role. The ego feels like, okay, I've been victimized again. And then you live we live this story in your mind, okay. Yeah, this is, you know, I'm not gonna say anything because I'm bigger than that. And that's another way the eagle then seeks to enhance itself. So the most, the best way to deal with this situation is to state what has happened. Say, uh, I noticed that my pizza is cold. You can lower your voice. You can say, I notice my pizza is cold. Is there any possible way you could reheat this for me? And But you don't have to make a judgment about the waiter. You don't have to make a judgment about the restaurant. You don't have to make a judgment or any form of fashion. You can just say, this is what I like to have done. And, you know, and I think that's very, very important because someone asked me, well, what do you do? Like, for example, if someone, uh, if you've been a victim of abuse, what do you do then? Are you not supposed to complain about that? You you know, of course you talk about it but you don't create a story that's going to hook you for the next 30 years and keep you trapped in that, uh, in, in that egoic pattern where the guy that abused you is now controlling your life and he, he's living in your brain for the next 30 years. You report someone like that and you move on. And, you know, but of course you say, how do you do that? And that's, that's what the book, of course, is about.
1: You said, but when you also stated, when you remain in gratitude, you refuse to give in to the ego victimization. Um, It's there that you will experience inner and contagious happiness that paves the way for good things to happen. So is that saying the way that you described with the whole? okay, my pizza is a little bit cold. Um, I understand you guys are busy. Do you mind taking it back and taking care of that for me and, and bringing me out a, a more appetizing piece? Um, I mean, it seems like. You articulated that <laughs> a lot better than I did, by the way. <laughs> it seems like there's, there's more power in that than yelling. Is that correct? Of course. Of course, because your your
2: energy is positive. Because here's what happens. When you complain about something, you poison your state of consciousness with unhappiness because the ego associates victimization with sadness. The subconscious makes the case, I have the right to be unhappy because I've been wrong. But when you remain in the place of gratitude, you just accept what is, it is what it is. It happened. You just accept it without making a judgment about it. You just stay in a place of gratitude. You just stay present in the now. You allow yourself to just identify with the waiter in a way or the waitress. You identify without making a judgment and it frees you. It makes you, it, it brings such wholeness to your life. And it ultimately, that leads to so much good.
1: It feels like you're not allowing someone else to have the power to move your, um, your stance or even your emotion or move your feelings. You're not giving someone else that power to do so. You are in complete control of the way of your happiness. No one's going to change my happiness.
2: Yes, at the same time, it's also the moment that you feel like I I am keeping myself in control, that can also be the ego to some extent. I'm not allowing anybody to gain the control of me because then you're making the other, there's an implied judgment that the other person has done you wrong and I'm not going to let that person steal from me or I'm not going to let that person put me down. And so that can also be the ego. That's just a more, I guess, a more subtle way for the ego to rear its ugly head. but when you truly come to that point of peace, then things may happen, but it is, you, you just accept what is, it's the present moment. It happened. It happened. The next moment it's not there anymore. And the more you can just stay in that place of inner gratitude, stay in that place of being aware of your truest and deeper self. When you are conscious uh, of the beauty of life, the aliveness within you, if you come to that place of inner stillness, you don't need to prove anything anymore. It's just a natural outcome. It's not that you feel like, I don't need to prove anything anymore, but it's just a natural outcome. You are fine. You are okay. It is what it is.
1: And you explain that in one of your final stories uh, in this chapter about the airline. And it's funny to see our how the outcome of that story came about and during that whole situation you could have gone off you could have been extremely upset because it didn't work out in your favor at that moment can you well, elaborate I, on that story yeah i
2: know and no, it, 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 and uh, you know I, ha- I had to read this today you know before we have our podcast before we record i have to read and and of course i'm sometimes you forget what you you wrote about because it's been a couple of years since I wrote this. And so, you know, I remember that story quite well. And I relived it as I uh, again today. And you know, I was flying and I have been doing a lot of flying over the years. And I remember I was flying from Amsterdam to Los Angeles, which is an 11 hour flight. And you know, when you've been flying, especially I'm six foot five, so I'm pretty tall. And so when you fly a lot, you know, it's not very comfortable to sit in a economy seat coach, especially if you're flying for 24 hours, if you're flying from some other part of the world, and then you fly all the way to Los Angeles. So you don't want to do that. So I, you know, sometimes I just go and ask, I said, listen, can I, can I purchase an upgrade? Because generally they sell upgrades a lot cheaper, right? Sometimes I use points. So I went and I asked when I arrived, I actually went to the airport early and I said, is it possible for me to buy an upgrade? And so they told me how much it was going to cost and how many points I would need to use. So there was a little combination with points and money. So I said, okay, I'll do that. So then they said, okay, they looked and they looked at the screen and they said, okay, we, we can't do it here. You have to do it on this, this other place. So I went to that place and I stood in the line up there for a while. And then they, then I told them the same thing again. And so I'm sorry, you can't do it here. You actually have to do it on the gate side if you go into the lounge. And you speak to somebody there, they will be able to help you. So, of course, I went through there. And that was another 20 minutes of, you know, getting through, uh, you know, security. And then I got into the lounge and I I get my, you know, there was a line up there. So I get this little thing in Europe. They have these little uh, tags, you know, like the number or whatever. So your number like A16. So finally, my number was called and I get up and I s- tell this same uh, staff member, my situation and I wanted to. She said, okay, that's fine. And so, and she says, yeah, I have a, I have a couple of seats left, all good. Give me your credit card and give me your thing. And so, and then she got, she's talking to someone on the phone and then for a few minutes, and then she comes back and she says to me, uh, so, so sorry, sir, but you're, there's no more seats. The last two seats just Someone just bought them right now. Now, in my mind, I'm thinking, well, if they would have helped me an hour ago, or if you would have helped me before you got on that phone, or if this would have happened, you know, I would have had my upgrade to sit or lay down on the bed for 11 hours rather than sit with my six foot five frame tucked in some kind of terrible seat. This is what my first reaction was, but it's not how I felt. Thank God that's not how I responded because I I, I was so filled with this awareness. I I was so filled with this awareness of this presence within me that I, instead of reacting that way, I had tremendous compassion for her because I could sense that she felt so bad. Mm -hmm. She knew that she had done something wrong. So I was filled with compassion for her. And I responded with kindness. I said, you know, don't worry about it. It's it's okay. Um, it happens. I'm fine. No worries. And she apologized to me over and over again. She said, but yeah, I'm terribly sorry. I said, don't worry about it. It's okay. And I had this calm because I realized that, yeah, I may be tucked into a seat, but my happiness does not depend upon where I sit, which is the mistake so many people do. And so then I got to the gate and I'm standing there waiting to board in my terrible economy seat, but I was having, I had this incredible peace and I had this incredible sense of joy and calm and everything is fine. And you know, I'm not complaining because a lot of us we fly economy so we know what it's like. And it's not exactly the most fun thing, but then I hear over the loudspeaker, Mr. Youngren come to the gate or come to the front desk. And I went there and, the lady hands me a boarding pass to sit in the premier business class with a flatbed seat. And I thought, I wonder if I have to pay for this. I wonder if they charge me for this. And I realized, no, they never charged me for this. There was nothing there. And I thought about it when I was sitting up on the airplane later on, if I would have got all upset, if my ego would have been stirred up, if I would have been all angry and I would have lashed out to them and told them how wrong they were and how they had mistreated me and all how unfair it was. I doubt that that lady, the staff member would have done anything, but somehow or another, this lady that I dealt with who felt so bad, she did everything she could to make sure that I got a seat up at, up at the front. And so that's what I'm saying. When you remain in the place of gratitude, rather than allowing the problems to just get to you, when you remain in that place of saying, I am not going to allow my ego to get involved. I'm not going to feel diminished by what someone else does to me. I'm just going to remain in that place of peace and grace because I'm rooted, my sense of self is not rooted in content. My sense of self is rooted in who I am, my eternal spirit, my oneness with God. Things just work out for themselves somehow or another. And if things don't work out necessarily all the time, you still have the peace in the midst of the
1: turmoil. And that's what I got out of that is you still kept your peace and you still kept your happiness and your, Gratitude. You even thank the person for trying and you still, you still, it's a powerful thing to someone else when someone still treats you well, even though the situation is bad.
2: Exactly. When you treat people well, when you're forgiving, when you see beyond people's mistakes, because you recognize we all make mistakes and you see beyond their mistakes, you see them for who they are. They are one with you on a very deep level. Even scientifically, quantum physics confirmed this. We are one at a very deep level, atomic level. We are one. When you begin to realize that at at the core, we are one, it just frees you from all this suffering and pain that we create for ourselves because of the ego.
1: And it puts you in that different category that you stated in chapter three, And it seems like that's where you were, what you were stating. It puts you in this Christ centric state where you can walk and just be aware and just be you and just be free and just love and just live happy and live your best life without a care and a worry and everything works out for your good, and if it doesn't even work out at that moment, you still stay along those lines of of, of being happy. If you sh- if you remain in this place of
2: peace within, it will improve your health and improve so many things in your life. It doesn't mean that nothing bad will not happen, but still, you will live free. And when things happen that is bad you're still fine in the long run. You're still fine. Even to die, you know, it's just the beginning of a new chapter. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you have to die. J- Jesus proved that, you you know, uh, to die before death is really how to live.
1: Lastly, he stated, while the ego is never content with now and thus complains, gratitude is in fact the language of love that keeps you at peace with what is. And what is can mean so many different things. It can mean everything.
2: What is is what is right now. So what is right now for me and for you? We are talking to each other. We're completely present. At least I'm not thinking about tomorrow. I'm not thinking about yesterday. I'm not thinking about uh, anything except that I'm present with you. And that's what I mean, what is. All that you ever experience is always now. So what was now yesterday is no longer now. It's no longer what is. What is right now is you. Most important person is to me is the person that I'm speaking to at the moment. And that's what I mean when I say what is.
1: Well, you... Really took us on that quest today, and that journey of ego and different places where it may hide in people's everyday lives, relationships, and acts in as they go about their days. Um, I really uh, like the way that you explained it, and, you know, to find it for other people to really put it in their personal lives and really see how they can change things within themselves or even identify things that are within themselves. Well, thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to today's podcast of Path of Love with David Youngren. This podcast is produced by the Path of Love Center thanks to the generosity of our donors. If you enjoyed this podcast, Consider rating it, writing a review, and sharing it with a friend. Together, we can grow an inclusive community around the transformational work of love. To learn more about Path of Love and get daily wisdom seeds sent to your email inbox, visit pathoflovecenter.com. You can also download David Youngren's guided audio meditation, Healing Stillness, for free at our website. From all of us at Path of Love, may love, Joy and peace be with you always.